Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. If you are especially maybe uh, in your high school years or in your college years or above and beyond those years and you're single, I want you to pay close attention to Ruth chapter number three. So let's read it together. You're going to find in the first few verses what I would call questionable advice. And here's what it is. Verse 1, Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? So, Naomi is driven by pure motives. She wants to find more security for Ruth than she as a widowed mother-in-law could provide for her, and she understands that Ruth needs long-range protection and support that Naomi is not going to be able to provide for her. In verse number 2, She tells Ruth this. She says, Boaz, isn't he of our kindred? Is not Boaz of our kindred? He says, with whose maidens thou wast? Weren't you with his maidens working in his field? Weren't you with him? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now that's a key phrase. So this means effectively that Ruth's opportunity to be in close proximity to Boaz is dissipating. She's not gleaning anymore. She was. If you caught the, the, uh, the tense of verse 2, you were with the, with the maidens. You're not do, there's no more reaping being done. It's the last couple days of harvest. You're not going to be around Boaz any longer. And Naomi can see this opportunity slipping through her fingers, right? And Naomi says to Ruth in verse number 3, here's her advice. It's fourfold. First piece of advice, she says, Ruth, be attractive. So verse 3. Wash thyself, therefore, anoint thee with an oil or a perfume, and put thy raiment upon thee. So, every time Boaz has seen Ruth, it's been at his field, right? And why is she at the field? She's there to work. So, every time Boaz sees Ruth, her hair is up in a messy bun, there's dirt under her fingernails, she has on her peasant clothes. This is, you know, she's not the most presentable person. So, here she goes. Then she says, in the middle of verse number three, Okay, we're going to do this extreme makeover Moabite edition. But now I want you to be attentive. So get thee down to the floor. Not not a usual place she would go. But make not thyself known unto the man, Boaz, until he shall have done eating and drinking. So that's practical. If you're going to approach him with something, it's a long day of work. Wait till he gets some food in his stomach. Wait till he drinks something. That's, that's always a good piece of advice. If you have a big conversation you need to have, better to have it when they're not hungry than when they're hungry. And it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. So what she says is like, I don't know if she's lurking in the shadows, if she's in the weeds, if she's just mingling with all the other people and trying to conceal herself. She says, don't let Boaz know you're there. Watch him. And I want you to... It's a little bit stalker status, right? She's creeping him for sure. She, I want you, some of you know what this is like on social media. I want you to see where he lies. See where he goes and where he decides to sleep. And then I want you to be assertive. So, thou shalt go in, shalt uncover his feet, or even the, the lower half of his, of his body, and lay thee down. She says, 
I want you to go in where he's sleeping and laying down, and I want you to uncover his, his legs and his feet, and I want you to, to, you know, snuggle up next to him, okay? So first of all, I, I don't know if this is the greatest piece of advice. There's a general rule of thumb when you're single, you know, avoid the horizontal position. If you can, if you can just mark that down, it will do you well, whether it's the back seat or the bed or the tent or the sleeping bag or anything else. That normally goes well, and you keep yourself out of trouble if you avoid the horizontal position. But she says, he's laying down. Go lay down with him, snuggle him, and then I want you to be available. He will tell thee what thou shalt do. Now, availability is a great ability in most instances. I'm I'm not sure that this is that instance, but I want you to go in and say, tell me what to do. It is very possible that you can get advice from a person of faith and even a well-intentioned person of faith that's not good advice, okay? I want you to know that just because you get Christian counsel is not enough. You need wise Christian counsel in your life. And Ruth is going to act on this, and we're going to see that God really, he really coats over a lot of this, and he makes it okay. But this is advice that really isn't the best in the world for Ruth to do, and God will superintend it, but you have to know that when you are trying to figure out your life, especially if, if you're a young person or there's an authority structure in your life, that you need more than Christian counsel. You need it to be wise. You need it to be wise. But here's what happens. You find some remarkable faith inside of Ruth. And here's the story, verse 5. She said unto her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. All right, Naomi. I wouldn't have come up with that myself, but... I'll give it a shot. Verse 6, so she went down to the floor and she did according to all that her, that her mother-in-law bade her. You feel, you feel the tension building in the story? Verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and there's a lot of debate about what he drank. Was it intoxicating? Was it not? The word used there is sometimes intoxicating, sometimes not. We don't know. We don't know. We know he wasn't drunk. We'll see that through the dialogue. He's very, he still has his wits about him. But he lays down, his belly's full at least. His heart is merry. He's in a good mood, and he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, and she came softly, meaning Ruth pulled out her ninja skills, right? She's going to go, just like Naomi said, she's going to tiptoe in there as quietly as she can, and she uncovered his feet, and she laid her down, okay? Now, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? If you're a single person looking for advice, this is not saying, do it this way, you know? Just sneak in their bedroom and, and pull back the covers and snuggle up with him. And that's, you have to know, the, the Bible tells you some things that just, it's honest. It's the most honest book ever written. This is just what happened. And the Bible never glosses over people's mess and never, you know, just paints the picture of all these heroes who are just heroic and awesome and all the good things in their life and none of the bad. They never does that. And it's telling you this, this is kind of messy, this is kind of dicey, this is kind of racy. But this is how it went down. And she went in and she did this. And verse number 8, it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid. And he turned himself and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And here's what she says. I am Ruth thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. True, false, this is risky behavior. True, it's risky behavior. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. It certainly is. But 
I have to commend Ruth for her faith and for being willing to step out in this way. I have to commend her for editing Naomi's advice a bit and improving upon it. And I have to commend her for being willing to step out because her station in life has improved, but it hasn't improved a lot. She had a two-month respite from being hungry, and maybe she was even able to stockpile some grain for what she needed. But she's still a widow. She's still poor. She still needs everything. She still has a bleak future in front of her. And even though Boaz has been kind to her, he hasn't really taken things to the next step. And she still needs a food bank. She still has a mother-in-law who's a piece of work. And she knows that she's in a tough spot. And she knows that she's going to have to step out in a situation where she doesn't know what's going to happen. Her mind is filled with question marks. We know what's going to happen because we've read the story, and we know what Boaz will do and what will become out of this, but she doesn't. And she's willing to, in this moment, as a young single woman, she is willing to take the best she knows how to do. And it's not perfect. It's not. But it's the best she knows how to do, and she is willing to go take the three steps that are in front of her and let the Lord guide the next three that will come. She doesn't know the next three that will come, but she's willing to take what she does know, and she's willing to walk forward with it, and that's faith. The best illustration I ever heard as a young man on the will of God and trying to pursue God and follow him was actually in relationship to driving. That if I jumped in my car tonight and said I want to drive to Erie, which I don't want to. We have enough snow and ice. They have more. I probably want to drive. Let's say Florida. That's a better choice. I'm going to Florida. My headlights don't shine from the Chernobyl Heights to Florida. My headlights shine about 20 yards. And as I move 20 yards, I get 20 yards more light. And as I move those 20 yards, I get another 20 yards of light. And as it, that's how it goes. And I'm not entirely sure that's what John meant in 1 John when he said we walk in the light as he is in the light. But I think that it's a, it's a decent application to say that's how our lives work. The will of God is a little by little, and Ruth doesn't have it all figured out. But she has enough where she says, okay, I'll walk forward. I'll go forward. I'll keep moving. I'll keep exhibiting faith. And she does. And here's what happens. Boaz's response to her is what I would call charitable integrity. It is filled with love. It's filled with integrity. Verse number 10. And you'd, you'd expect no less from this man. We've seen this over and over again now as we move through the book. But here he is. Boaz says, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. So what he says is, God bless you. You've showed more kindness right now than you did back then. What's that mean? Back then she showed kindness to her mother-in-law because she was committed, she was faithful, she would stay with her through thick and thin. And what he's saying is right now you're actually showing a faithfulness and a commitment to me that I did not expect because, and here's why, you could have had somebody younger. We don't know how old Boaz is, but we know he's not a spring chicken. He's not so old that he's withering away and he's unable to put in a full day of work because he just did it. But he's definitely older than Ruth. And he's, he's so old that he thought, eh, that's not going to happen. I'll treat her like a daughter. I'll be kind to her. I'll love her. I'll try to provide for her. I'll have a heart for her. But the idea of something romantically happening here is not in his mind. He thinks it's out of reach. And when she comes in and says, marry me, he's like, snaps. Okay, that was, thank you. I did not see this coming, but this is a great surprise at midnight, right? Verse number 11. Now, my daughter, fear not, 
I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Ruth, put your, let me put your mind at ease. You can get off your knee now. Yes. I accept. I will marry you. The whole, the whole town knows that you are a great, virtuous woman. I'll marry you. Verse 12. Now it's true that I am thy near kinsman, but, bad news, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Legally, the way it worked, and you say, I don't like this. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It's just the way it was. The person who was the closest relative, they had the legal right to redeem or to marry or to take her under their wing. And because there is someone near, he knows legally there's an obstacle to overcome here. And I can't just promise you that I will marry. I want to, and I'm telling you that, and I'm going to work at it, but I got to go talk to this guy first. There's some legal stuff we got we to gotta overcome here. So, verse 13, tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So this is beautiful. He's, okay, winnowing the barley time, right? This is a heavy season of work. It's a few days, a lot of work. It's your payday. You're sleeping there for a reason to protect it. You have a lot to do, right? Boaz isn't in the shade with lemonade. He has a lot to do. But he says, you know what? I will give this high priority. In the morning, I will beeline it to that dude's door. I will bang on that door till he answers. And I will, I will tell him, hey, uh, Ruth, you know her? Yeah, you're closer than me. What's up? You're going to marry her or not? Because if you're not in, I'm in. I want to marry her. Can, can we get this done? Like, I'm going to go make this a priority tomorrow. I'm going to work on this. So lay down, stay at my feet, and let's go to sleep. And let's wake up in the morning. So, verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. So, they understand how dicey this is. They understand how the optics would look. If people saw her coming up out of his tent, you know, early in the morning, you were there at night. He gets it. And he's not trying to lie but he is trying to conceal this. Sometimes concealing and lying go hand in hand and sometimes they're separate. And he says, I want us to wake up early before people can see it. it's still, you know, the sun's coming up. And I want you to get out of here because I don't want people to be talking and I don't want there to be the scuttlebutt all around town of what's happening and your reputation to be tarnished because of this or my reputation to be tarnished. I'll try to make the best out of this. Stay here and the morning will go. So we're almost done, verse 15. He said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and he laid it on her and she went into the city. So it's a tremendous testimony to Boaz. This man is faced with a test, honestly, and out of that comes his testimony. And what you find is this man has tremendous character and tremendous integrity that in a moment that certainly had to have been tempting, his character shines through. He is willing to think of her and to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prioritize your safety, I'm going to prioritize your integrity and your reputation. And in a day and age where men oftentimes do not prioritize the safety and the integrity of women that they should, Boaz is an example of that. He's a man that says, I care about your safety. I care about your testimony. I want that to be paramount. And he does the noble thing. So verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi says to Ruth, who are you? Who art thou? It's an interesting question. She, she have amnesia? She forget who she was? 
What she's saying is, are you Mrs. Boaz? Are you, is there a name change that happened overnight? Or what's going on here? And it says that Ruth told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he. For he said to me, go not empty to thy mother-in-law. So what does this mean? Verbal assurances, I'm your man. Visual assurances. I'm not just going to talk the talk, I'm going to walk the walk, right? I'll, I'll tell you what, what I'm, what's true, but I'm going to show you in a tangible way that I'll sacrifice on your behalf. So, verse number 18, last verse, then she said, Ruth, sit still until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Ruth, sit down, take it easy, let's wait. He's going to be about this. He'll be around later on today, and he'll tell us what's what, right? There's a chapter. Now I have seven fast applications for those that are single or those that give advice to marriage seekers. And you're smirking at me because you don't believe it'll be fast, but it will. Here we go. Marriage seekers and advice givers. Number one, marriage is not so much about finding the right person as it is about being the right person. Ruth could have set her eyes on Boaz and found him all she wanted, but if she was not a person of integrity, if she was not a virtuous woman, if she did not prioritize her own character and her own loyalty and her own commitment, you think it was easy to be with Naomi, the, the bitter old woman all the time? No, it was not easy. But Boaz knew who she was, and without that in place, without her own character, this never transpires, and it never goes the way that she wanted it to. So look for someone with character, but focus on your own character and your own walk with God first and foremost. Secondly, if you're starting a list for someone that you're looking for, start it with these three. Loves God, has character, has a job. Okay? If Boaz is nothing else, he's those three. If you're single, these are your action items, okay? <laughs> Knock yourself out. Put whatever you want on your list, but don't short-circuit this. Don't, do not move those to the top and put relationship with God at, at the bottom. Number three, welcome your parents' advice. You're going to hate me for this, but I don't care. <laughs> Naomi had some questionable advice from her mom, or mother-in-law, I should say. That's, that's valid, Okay. But it doesn't negate the fact that parental involvement is a good idea if there is a parent, no parent's perfect, but if there is a parent who has been willing to provide, put a roof over your head, well-intentioned, tried to love you, even if it was in a, in a somewhat defective way, if there was a genuine effort there from your parent, then they should be involved. And here's why. If you're single, and I don't care if you're, if you're 47 years old and you're single. If you're single, answer this question honestly. Who's given you more bad advice in your lifetime other than you? Come up with a person in your mind who's lied to you more than you. Now, maybe there is, but I'm doubting that there is. If you're honest, nobody lies to you more than you do. Don't be afraid to say, hey, you're a parent. Come, be involved. And parents, don't be afraid to be involved. It's your job sometimes to step up and to say, hey, you want to date her? Date me first. You can take me out to dinner, big boy, and you can convince me why you're a great guy, and then maybe you can talk to her. That's, I'm great with that. I'll sign off. I have a daughter now. I'm okay with that, right? Parental involvement is not a bad idea. Now, don't mishear me, parents. I'm not saying that you get to call the shots. I'm not saying that you get to, oh, I've always wanted a boy to play ball with, and all, all I had was girls, so I'll make sure that she gets an athlete. I'm not saying that. 
But I am saying that as a parent, it is your responsibility to lead spiritually and to provide a framework from which your children may be able to select for themselves, with your help and your guidance, someone who would be fitting for them and a mate for life. Can I put myself out there? I kind of want to get married. I want to find someone. Sure. It's not a terrible thing. You know, if you've met them and there's, you know, you thought maybe you saw a spark or two. And you know what? I know that they go to that group. I like groups and studying the Bible too. Maybe I'll go in that group with them, you know? That's not a terrible idea. I'm not saying make church a hunting reservation and you, you, know, you just, that's your primary goal is to find a spouse. You come to church to love God and to worship God and to grow in his word. But if, if that happens at church and you know what? I kind of have an interest in them and I can't sing all that well, but I mean I could carry a tune in there in choir so maybe I'll go to that music open house and maybe they'll put me right next to them in the choir. Those things happen. That's real. That's real. That's not wrong to put yourself in front of someone, but next point I would say is do not neglect the people that are already in front of you. Boaz is a man who's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think this was a thing. She was right in front of him the whole time. And deep down, he knew that, like, I, I want this to happen. But he's like, I, I kind of dismissed it. I thought it was too old. I thought it wouldn't work out. And he kind of, like, breezed right over her. And sometimes you're so looking for Mr. or Mrs. Perfect and whatever that is in your mind. And I can promise you when you find it, you'll be let down about a year into marriage. You'll find out that that was not perfect. But you're looking for that. And oftentimes you can overlook the people that are right in front of you that love God and have character and, and, and have a job and will work hard and would be a great potential fit. You don't want to do that. Remember next, we're almost done. Upgrade your question. What I hear from those that are single often is this question, which is a fair question, but there's a better one. And the question is, where's the line? When I'm, when I'm cutting wood on my table saw, my goal is not to get my thumb as close to that blade as I can without chopping it off, right? Because the closer I am, the greater odds there are that my thumb is just gone, right? And I'm not saying that you want to run so far away that you, you know, create this whole ginormous system that's crazy. But I am saying it may be a decent idea to not go on that line. But there's a, there's a better question to ask. And the better question than where's the line is when is the time? And what you find in the Song of Songs, the, the most romantic book in all of the Bible, you find this refrain repeated three times throughout the song. It becomes this theme. And the refrain is, do not awaken love before it's time, or before the desire is right. So ask yourself this question. Not so much where's the line, but when is the time? And lastly, every relationship will have obstacles to overcome. Now, I know you're not going to have the obstacle of, well, there's a kinsman redeemer who technically has dibs on you first. I get that. And I'm glad that we don't have to overcome that in our culture, to be honest. But especially romantic relationships, you are going to have obstacles to overcome. Those that are giving advice, help, help the, uh, those that you're giving advice to get through that. Set expectations properly and let them know from the onset there's going to be hurdles. But you have to know that that will be there. And I'm not talking about obstacles to overcome like, you know what, her dad wants to, you know, be involved, but I need to skirt around him and I, I need to circumvent, you know, his wisdom. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about going over them the right way. Boaz doesn't avoid this. He doesn't say, all right, Sadie Hawkins, let's go to Mary and Sam and do a shotgun wedding tomorrow. He knows the legal custom. He knows what's right. And he is willing to go do it. He's willing to follow it. And you may have the same thing. You may have 
the stipulations laid out from dad or mom or their parents or your parents. You may have some obstacles to overcome and that, you know what, I need to focus on myself right now. I, I like you, I do. But now's not the time. I need to focus on my walk with the Lord or I need to heal up from this or whatever it may be. That may have to happen first and you may have to overcome those obstacles. But don't run from them. Don't be afraid of them. Work through them. What you have in the story of Ruth and Boaz, this little love story, is a Gentile bride who throws herself at the mercy of a redeemer and says, effectively, I have nothing to offer and I need everything. Would you have me? And the redeemer says, yes. The one with absolute integrity, the one with wild generosity, the one with immense charity, says, yes, I will have you. I will not delay. I will not leave you in suspense. I will take you into myself, sit at my table, be a part of my family. I want you. And as we read this little love story, if you know Jesus, if you're a Christian, there should be something in the background that's screaming a larger love story, a bigger love story of a Gentile bride, as it were, in need of a redeemer, who needs to throw themselves at the feet of the Redeemer and say, I got nothing. Spiritually, I'm bankrupt. I have nothing to offer, but would you take me? Would you have me? And we are told that the Lord Jesus will be a bridegroom to those who want him. That he will step up and that he says unequivocally, I want you, yes. I won't delay. I won't leave you in suspense. I will verbally assure you that I want you, that where I am there you may be also, that I I will be with you forever, that you are mine, that you are in my family, but I will not only give you verbal assurances of my love, but I will give you visual assurances of my love, namely that of the cross. That God proved his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll demonstrate this to you in a real way. I will sacrifice for you so you know I'm the real deal. And if you'll throw yourself at my feet, I will absolutely take you and I will be your redeemer. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.